Hey guys, this is the God Besotted Podcast, and I'm your host, Karina. We're back in our series on the attributes of God, and in this episode, we're going to talk about God's omnipresence and his imminence. Is all of God everywhere, or is it just part of him everywhere? Do we need to go to church or a special mountain to worship God? Why do we need to seek God if he's everywhere? And if God is everywhere, why don't most of us feel his presence with us more often? Let's talk about all that and more right now. I think it's going to be a good time, so let's just get right into it. In Isaiah 57, God is in the middle of calling out his people for their persistent rebellion against him, their idolatry and their adultery of their covenant relationship with God. But towards the end of the chapter, he offers hope, hope for those who are repentant. And the hope that he offers is for restoration and for renewal, for peace and rest that will come to those who continue to seek God in faith, in humility, in repentance. In verse 15, God says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This passage touches on the three attributes that we've been talking about between last episode and this one. God is transcendent. He says he is high and lifted up. He dwells in a high and holy place. But he's also, as we'll see in this episode, omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's not just up there. And he is imminent. He is here with us and with everyone who is humble and repentant. He is with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit. God, to those who are repentant and humble, is nearer than our very breath. So for the first point we'll look at, God is everywhere and he is near to believers. We started in the last episode with transcendence. Because it's only by first understanding God's transcendence that we can then appreciate his imminence and the intimacy that we enjoy with him in Christ. So you probably already know that God is omnipresent. It's one of those things that we hardly consider if we've been raised in church or around church. You might be listening now and feel like, well, obviously God is everywhere. And I had that moment when I first started preparing this episode. Of course, God is everywhere. But what we're going to do in this episode is break that down a bit, dig a little deeper, and then see, hopefully, why this doctrine is so foundational to who God is and why it's so practical for us as believers. The word present obviously means here, close to, next to, and omni means that this presence is in all ways or in all places. So as A.W. Tozer puts it, God is everywhere here, close to everything, next to everyone. So although God exists apart from space and matter and time, scripture repeatedly talks about God being present everywhere. For example, in Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24, God says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? 
And famously in Psalm 139, David describes God's omnipresence. And we've talked about this Psalm quite a few times during this series. David prays to God and says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So heaven, hell, the sky, the depths of the ocean, we can't go anywhere where God isn't. He is there. He is here. But we have to be careful here. The Bible doesn't support a pantheistic view of the world that says the world is God and God is the world. God and the world are not one. And the world is not part of God either. Where the world is in God and there's this interrelatedness so that if I find a rock at the park, it's part of God. This is called panentheism. And it would say that even though God is greater than the world, the world is contained in God. But the biblical view is not that the universe is contained in God so that creation is part of him. The biblical view, as we talked about in the last episode, is that God and creation are separate. God, who is transcendent, is distinct from his creation. He is the creator. Everything else is creation. And just as importantly, when we say that God is everywhere, it's not part of him that's present everywhere. What do I mean by this? Well, I mean that it's not God's big toe in Alaska while his hand is moving in Iran. And it's not God's goodness present in America while his wrath is stirring up the Pacific Ocean. God is one. He cannot be separated out. He's a solitary being. So the biblical view is that God, the creator, is fully present everywhere. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. God is present everywhere with his whole being. So where God is, all of God is. And God is everywhere, so all of him is everywhere. So that's omnipresence. Imminence means God is not only everywhere, he is also near to us. He is with us. It's not enough to say that God is fully present everywhere. Because he could be everywhere, but hidden from us, the creation. Scripture says that God, the infinite creator, who cannot be bound by space or time or matter, has chosen to reveal himself to his creation and is near to it at all times in all places. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, it says, For what great nation is there besides Israel that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? In Isaiah 45, God says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. And we've already discussed in past episodes, Romans 1. In that chapter, Paul lays out the case against unbelievers and says that God has revealed his attributes and his divine nature through the creation. That something in the creation tugs at the heartstrings and at the minds of unbelievers, telling them, showing them beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is a creator God. And that leaves people without excuse. They can't say they didn't know if God existed. God revealed himself to them. And so, as the Jeremiah passage said, God is not a God who is far off. He is near. That's what imminence means. Well, what are some practical implications of this? For starters, God's omnipresence means that God's presence isn't tied to some special place of worship. 
he is not only on a mountain in Bhutan and he is not only in the Ark of the Covenant. There is no one place where God dwells. I want to pause a minute here because at this point, someone listening might be thinking, well, that's why I don't go to church because I can worship God wherever I am. But I just want to say here quickly that the purpose of going to church is not only to worship God as a corporate body, even though ever since Jesus ascended to heaven when the church met, the gathering included prayer and singing songs of worship to God. But that's not the only purpose of gathering as a body. In addition to prayer and fellowship and singing, the church gathers together to hear the public reading of the word, the preaching of the word, to encourage each other, to keep each other accountable, to hold fast to the faith, among other things. So while yes, God is everywhere and Jesus, as we'll see, shattered the notion that believers have to worship God in a certain place, like a certain mountain, we are still called to regularly gather as a church. That being said, the Bible does speak of God being present in different ways in different places. For example, is God present in hell? Many of us have been taught before by someone somewhere that hell is the absence of God. I know I've heard that often. But if it is, then how can the Bible speak of God being present everywhere? Is there a place where God is not, where he cannot or will not be present? Is hell that place? The answer might be surprising, but no. God is present in hell just in a different way. For example, Revelation 14, 9 through 10 talks about how in the future, anyone who has received the mark of the beast, whatever interpretation we put on that, it says, will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And that person will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Fire and brimstone is a reference to hell. So this passage teaches that God is everywhere, even there, even in hell, but he's present in a different way. Clearly, he's present to judge. But then the question becomes, how do we make sense of passages that seem to indicate that God's presence dwells somewhere? Was God's presence ever localized in the burning bush that spoke to Moses, or was it ever limited to the temple in Jerusalem? As one theologian I read put it, a good way to understand this is that we see in Scripture that sometimes God intensifies his presence in local areas. God is everywhere, but sometimes he is present in a special way in a certain place. Another theologian said that overwhelmingly, when the Bible speaks about God's presence, it's talking about him being present to bless. What do I mean by that? Well, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, the cherubim being part of the Ark of the Covenant. God revealed himself in that time. He made his presence known in a special way in the Ark of the Covenant to remind his people that he was working to bless them, to protect them, and to draw near to them at this specific location that he chose. God was present everywhere then, just as he is now, but he chose to make his presence known in a special way and to reveal himself in a special way in that place at that time. So in scripture, we do find that God reveals himself or is present in different ways at different times. In hell, he is present to punish. In the Ark of the Covenant, he was present in a special way to bless. So God intensifies 
people's awareness of his presence in certain places. And he intensifies their awareness that he's especially present to bless them in certain places. So when I went to Israel, one of the places that we visited was, of course, the Western Wall. It is the only wall left of the place where the first and second temples of Jerusalem once stood. And when I was there, it was so powerful to be in a place where God said over and over again in scripture that he would dwell with his people. And I did feel the weight of knowing that this was a place where God said his eyes would be forever, a place where he promised to stay, a place where he chose to dwell in a special way among his people. But at the same time, I was concerned at how many of my Christian friends on the trip said that they felt closer to God at the wall than they ever had before. And that experience during the trip made me think about what scripture says about God's presence in the New Testament. In John 4.20, Jesus tells a Samaritan woman that under the new covenant, mountains no longer matter. We can worship God anywhere as long as we worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and truth is to come to God with a sincere heart and in a way that's informed by what scripture reveals about who God is and what he's like. Where we are is not the important part. How we worship is more important. So as Jesus teaches the Samaritan woman, we should worship God with our hearts and with our minds. In fact, earlier in the book of John, in John 1, we learn that the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among men. That word dwelt is literally tabernacle. God chose to tabernacle among men in Christ. Instead of dwelling in a tent or a temple as he had before, when the time came, God revealed himself perfectly and more fully in the person of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God who is called Emmanuel, God with us. And amazingly, scripture also says that believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit, God, dwelling inside us, making us temples, places where God's presence is localized in a special way. But does that mean that God under the new covenant is no longer everywhere, that now he's just in Christ and believers? No, God can't be parceled and packaged that way. He is infinite, but he is present in special and different ways in Christ and believers. So up to this point, we've covered that God is fully present with his whole being everywhere, but he's present in different ways in different places. And at this time in salvation history, God has chosen to be specially present in Jesus, the word who became flesh, and in believers who are God's temple through the Holy Spirit. So at this point, you may be wondering, what is the point of unpacking a doctrine that before we started seemed so elementary and simple, and now seems like it's a bit more complicated uh, than it was before? Well, as always, the goal is that this truth would drive us to worship. The truth that God is everywhere and yet he draws near to us should impact the way that we live. So when God encourages us to seek him over and over again in scripture, he's not calling us to seek him in vain. He promises to be found by us and he can keep that promise because he's everywhere. 
It makes me think about Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18 and 19 are probably my favorite chapters in all of scripture, and you're probably familiar with the story. Elijah, at a time of rampant idol worship in Israel's history, when Israel was being led by a king whose wife was a priestess for a foreign god and who led the people in flagrant idolatry, Elijah was called by God to try to uh, bring the people to repentance. And so in chapter 18, Elijah challenges 850 prophets of Baal, this was the false god they were worshiping, to a showdown. And the showdown is not between Elijah and the prophets, but between Baal, the prophet's god, and Elijah's god, Yahweh, the covenant god of Israel. And the challenge was simple. The prophets of Baal would call out to their god, Baal, for fire to come down from heaven and consume their sacrifice. And then Elijah would call on his God, Israel's God, to do the same. And so when it was the prophet's turn, they jumped around in a frenzy and they even cut themselves and cried out all day, but no fire came down. And Elijah makes an interesting um, mocking statement. He taunts them and he asks them whether maybe Baal, their God, was busy on a journey or asleep or something because their God just didn't show up. But when Elijah prayed to our God, the God of Israel, fire came down from heaven immediately and consumed the sacrifice. God was there. He was present and he chose to reveal himself. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't busy. He was ready to act on behalf of his name and to turn his people's hearts back to him. The doctrine of God's omnipresence and his imminence should encourage us to seek God and worship him only. There is no God like him. He fills the heavens and the earth. He is high and lifted up, but he draws near to those whose hearts are his. Seeking God might be one of those phrases that feels a little vague to you. I know at times it can feel vague to me. It's like that phrase surrendering to God. What exactly does it mean? To help understand and and give us a practical picture for what it means, I want to look at what's been called practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God is from a book by Brother Lawrence, which is a Christian classic. And it basically means practicing being aware of God's presence. Practicing the presence of God is our response to God's omnipresence. If God is always everywhere, then he's always with us. He's imminent, as we've said. But most of us don't feel that he is with us all the time. We have days, even seasons, when we don't feel his nearness. It reminds me of the patriarch Jacob in Genesis 28, who early on in his walk with God, when he didn't know the Lord well, received a vision from God while he slept. God appeared to him while he slept and spoke to him and made him promises. And when Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. We need help orienting our consciousness to recognize and respond to the presence of God. We need to practice the presence of God. And so there's a difference between God's omnipresence, which we've been discussing, and what's been called his manifest presence. God is always with us, but we aren't always aware of it. God's manifest presence is when he reveals himself to us unmistakably. Stop for a moment and think of when that has happened for you. 
when you knew, not just in your head, that God was with you, but in your bones, in your marrow, in your blood. One of those moments for me was the day after my grandmother died. She was the only grandparent that I had been close to, the only one that I had grown up with, and I loved her, all four feet and nine inches of her. And she died while I was away at college, so I wasn't in the hospital room to see her for uh, that last moment, and it was the first time that I grieved the passing of a loved one in a personal way. And I felt that loss even more acutely because the rest of my family heard the news together and had each other to lean on in that uh, initial shock. And I was by myself and I didn't have someone with me who knew her, who felt exactly what I was feeling. And the day after she passed, uh, when all of this was obviously very fresh, was Valentine's Day and on that day I had a meeting for a club I led on campus where I was teaching a Bible study about the love of God. And the way that God met me as I taught, the way that I experienced truly and deeply his love during that meeting, um, it's hard to put into words, but it is one of the moments that I think back to often when I know I experienced his presence, when I, when I not just knew he was with me, but I experienced it. That's God's manifest presence. And I think about it often and I want more of those experiences. I think of all the times that I heard God's voice different times in my life, not audibly, and there were no words written um, by floating hands on walls, no fleece was actually wet during the process, but I heard him clearly, unmistakably. And I want to do all that I can on my end to cultivate that conversation, to experience more of the fullness of God. Practicing the presence of God then is growing in our consciousness of God's presence with us and growing our intimacy with him by being in constant conversation with him. So just to wrap up, I want to give you some practical steps that we can take to experience the manifest presence of God more often, to practice the presence of God in our lives. The first step is painfully obvious, but we often don't do it, and it is talk to him. Talk to him all day. Start in the morning and keep going. Make an effort to speak to him during the day. If time goes by when you're busy and you forget, don't beat yourself up about that. Just when you remember him, speak to him. It's similar to, I've heard illustrations of a husband or a wife while their spouse is in a different place. And you can be doing something and not thinking about your spouse, but your love for your spouse permeates everything you do and your thoughts go to them often. And when you do think of them, it's because of that love that you have for them. So someone has said, love God and you will be always speaking to him. That's one way that we can practice the presence of God. Second is sit still, sit still. An author that I enjoy, Jan Johnson, who writes on spiritual disciplines often, put it this way. She said, don't be afraid to waste time with God. There are a hundred reasons why we don't sit still long enough to pour over the word and let the Holy Spirit guide our time in prayer. We're busy. We feel uncomfortable with silence and stillness. We simply don't want to. We have better things to do. We're afraid nothing will happen or we're afraid we'll get stuck on something and not have the tools to understand it and move past it and on and on and on. 
it's worthwhile to, to identify why you don't spend more time in the word and prayer. One of my favorite quotes since I was young is from John Piper, and he said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Insert whatever social media app works for you there, whether that's Facebook and Twitter or whether that's Instagram and TikTok or Pinterest or uh, whatever shopping app you use. My purpose here isn't to berate us for being busy or for it being hard to focus or any of that. God knows our hearts and he knows our limitations and he knows the things that distract us, but often we don't. It took a long time for me to figure out, but one of the reasons uh, as of the past several years why I sometimes dread sitting down and spending uninterrupted, untimed time in the word is because I'm afraid that I won't hear anything, that I won't catch what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, that I won't have a God moment, that I won't know what the purpose uh, is of what I just studied. And it took me a while for me to realize that and to counteract that. And so I would encourage you to figure out why it is that you don't sit still and then do what you can to sit still more often. There's no time wasted seeking God's presence. And he promises to reward those who seek him by being found by us. And lastly, we need to remember, as Jan Johnson also says, intimacy is never instant. Every so often, my husband asks me a bunch of questions about how I pray and how I study the word, what my methods are, what my habits are. And it's because I've been walking with the Lord for several years, and he doesn't have all that history yet. And I've not figured it out by any means. But one thing I do know is that our relationship with the Lord is like other relationships. It takes time to grow and mature, and it does grow and mature. There's always something new to learn about God and to really internalize about God. There's always a new way that God teaches us through experience about who he is and who we are in relation to him. The journey is never boring. It can be very dark. The silence of God is something that I would never wish on anyone. And the seasons of my life where I felt God was silent were some of the worst that I've ever had. And so if you're in a season where you feel like God is silent, my heart goes out to you. And I encourage you to keep seeking. All I can say is that the cloud will lift. It will. Because God is not just everywhere, he is near. And he wants to manifest his presence to us, to give us more and more of himself, to fill us full to all the fullness of God. I want that. I want that desperately. And I hope that this series is encouraging you, like it's been encouraging me to want that more and more. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the God Besotted Podcast. I hope the knowledge that God is omnipresent and he is imminent, he's near to us, encourages you this week and ignites a desire to recognize and respond to his presence throughout each day. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, share, all those good things. And if you have anything to share about how this series has been encouraging you in your walk with the Lord, I would love to hear about it through social media sometime. So until next time, to paraphrase the words of John Piper, may the world see the worth of Christ in the work and words of his God-besotted people.